We bow our heads and pray. Gracious God, you've promised that your holy word, which goes forth from your mouth, will not return to you empty, but it will accomplish what you desire, and it will succeed in the matter for which you've sent it. May your word have its way, we pray, in every heart this day, through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson is from Genesis chapter 3, but I, I want to begin this morning by citing Genesis chapter 4. Uh, you, you may recall in chapter 4, uh, we read that uh, Adam begat a son named Cain, another son named Abel, and we also read in chapter 4 that Cain murdered his brother Abel. And the Lord approaches Cain as he approached Adam in chapter 3 after the fall into sin. And the Lord, very typical of him, asked questions. The question is, where's your brother? And Cain replied, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord asks, What's this you've done? Hark, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, now to me, what's interesting about the last statement is that in Hebrew, the word for blood is a plural noun. Its use here is not singular. Literally, the Lord is saying this, your brother's blood's plural, cry out to me from the ground. And the ancient rabbis interpreted this plural form of the noun to refer not just to the blood of Abel, but to the blood of all of Abel's offspring, doomed never to be born. And thus arose this saying among the rabbis, whoever takes a single life destroys an entire world. In other words, all the succeeding generations of that murdered individual will never see the light of day. And that's true. The man who was murdered represents more than himself. He is the representative of all of his succeeding generations. Now, that may sound strange, but the idea of representation is huge in the Bible, and it governs all of us, and it, it should be familiar to us. You and I live today in what we would call a representative democracy. We do not live in a direct democracy. An example of a direct democracy would be Switzerland. The Swiss do not elect representatives. The citizens of each canton or state meet periodically in what's called a Landsgemeinde, and the citizens themselves vote on and they enact policies for their respective canton or state. However, most democracies, including our own, are representative 
democracies. We elect representatives who have authority to act on our behalf. They vote in our place and they enact policy. Now they represent us. And when I say they represent us, I don't mean that we necessarily agree with everything they say and do. But they represent us in the sense that not only do they vote proxy for us, but whatever they do affects us in very real ways. Going to war or not, raising taxes, cutting programs, redefining marriage. What our representatives do affects all of us for good or ill. Now, with that concept in mind, I think we can better understand the epistle reading for this morning. Roman numeral one in your sermon outline on page eight. God relates to humanity. He interacts with humanity through representatives. Representatives that he has chosen or elected. The world we live in is not a representative democracy. The world we live in is a representative monarchy. God is the king. And we are served by two representatives. Letter A, Adam. Letter B, Christ. And what they do as our representatives affects us mightily. Every man, woman, and child, no one is untouched by these representatives. Roman numeral two, Adam and the reign of death. Letter A, death inevitably. Death automatically, we might say, follows sin. It's like a law of nature. If you jump off of a tall enough building and hit the ground, you're gonna die. That's the law of gravity. Now, in the same way, God told Adam, if you eat the forbidden fruit of which I commanded you not to eat, you will surely die. It's a law. And St. Paul wrote in Romans 6 that the wages of sin is death. And in our gospel reading for today, or rather our epistle reading for today, Paul writes in verse 12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, notice, death automatically follows sin. Letter B, so death spread to all men because all sinned. All sinned. Now, when you read that death spread to all men because all sinned, your first thought may be, well, what Paul means is that if people live long enough and grow old, they grow up, they eventually sin, they reach some sort of age of accountability, they eventually sin and become subject to death. But that is not what Paul is saying. Look at verse 18 and verse 19. Verse 18, therefore as one trespass, now whose was that? That was Adam's. Led to condemnation for whom? For all men. And verse 19, for as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners. 
You see, when our representatives sinned, we all became subject to sin and the consequence of sin, which is death. Now, someone hearing this may object, saying, I didn't choose Adam to be my representative. That's not fair. You're right in saying you did not choose Adam. Adam was chosen for you by a perfectly holy and righteous God. He created Adam without sin. He created Adam holy and righteous, unlike you and me. And with the exception of Christ himself, never in human history have we been better represented than when we were represented by Adam in the Garden of Eden. Never have we been better represented. And if you still reject the idea of Adam as our representative, you must also reject the idea of Christ as our representative, and therefore you must reject the Christian faith itself. Letter C. Adam is the negative model or the pattern of Christ. Like a photographic negative of of a positive photograph. Paul writes in verse 14 that Adam was a type, a model or a pattern of the one who was to come, meaning Jesus. And just as Adam's action as our representative dooms us, Christ's action as our representative delivers us from God's condemnation. Roman numeral three, Christ's reign of grace and life. Letter A, death automatically follows sin, but grace, grace is never automatic. Grace is gift. That is to say, grace is not anything we produce or cause to happen. Grace is completely beyond your control and mine. We have no claim on God. He owes us nothing. And that is what makes grace so wonderful when it comes. Letter B, Adam destroyed himself and others. Himself and others. Christ died only for others. Death is deserved. Grace is not. And letter C, one trespass automatically brought condemnation, yet God's free gift brought justification. It brought justification in spite of many trespasses. Verse 16, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, and justly so. I said earlier that we and most people in the free world live in some sort of a representative democracy. And living in a representative democracy is a great blessing. But if our representatives make bad decisions, all of us suffer for it. What our representatives do or do not do has a profound effect on our lives, for good or for ill. And with the exception of Christ himself, no one was better suited to represent us in the garden than Adam, holy and righteous as he was, and yet he failed. 
and we whom he represented live with the consequences. That means all of us have an expiration date. God was entirely righteous in condemning us for Adam's sin, but God is entirely gracious in sending us another representative who not only removes our sin, but is also the source of our righteousness. Verse 16 again. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now, folks, justification is more than forgiveness of sin. It is the gift of Christ's righteousness to all descendants of Adam. So consider the contrast here. One trespass rightly brings condemnation, but many, many trespasses could not prevent God from his gracious act of justification for all sinners. Adam's one act of disobedience was attributed to us. But now, Christ's entire life of obedience, all of Christ's righteousness is attributed to us. A huge contrast. Letter D. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. My friends, our sin could not keep pace with God's ability to forgive. God's forgiveness far outruns our failures. And letter E, God's love in Christ for all sinners far exceeds his wrath. His love far exceeds his wrath. To think that God's wrath and God's love are equally balanced is to do God a great injustice, bordering on blasphemy. God's wrath, God is wrathful only out of necessity, but he is loving by nature. God relates to you and to me through representatives. He always has. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul stated it this way. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And the psalmist said it like this. God's anger lasts only a moment, but his favor for a lifetime. My friends, in Adam, we experience God's momentary anger, but in Christ, we experience a lifetime of his favor. <laughs>